Listen, if you're tired of spending so much of your time hustling in your DMs and Facebook groups every month, hoping to snag your next client and would much rather have potential clients reaching out to you on a regular basis, I created a free guide to show you how to build a community of people who know, like, and trust you and can't wait to click the buy button on your next offer. And you can download it for free at the link in the show notes. You're listening to Captivate and Convert, the weekly podcast created to help you become known in your niche, attract the people you actually want to work with, and get paid to do what only you can do. I'm your host, Christy Sigelski, and each week I'll be sharing tips and strategies and chatting with other online business experts to show you how to charm your audience and turn your browsers into buyers. If you're ready to render the competition irrelevant, you're in the right place. Before we listen in on today's episode, I wanted to share a little bit about today's guest. So I sat down with Ashley Monk, and Ashley is the CEO of It Media, and she's helped dozens of clients move their local brick-and-mortar businesses online and generate more revenue during the pandemic than they did in previous years. Now, in this episode, Ashley shares her process for helping those clients make that switch and also how she helped them create new offers that produced an immediate cash injection into their businesses. If last year taught us anything, it's that being able to pivot quickly and change your business model when the market changes, those things are essential to your success, right? So in this episode, we cover which businesses are maybe best suited to a hybrid model of in-person and online products or services. We talk about the shifts that have to happen in order to make that transition and what makes marketing your business in the online space different than marketing at the local level. Because the goal is always business without burnout, the Christy questions this week shine a light on work-life balance and non-negotiable boundaries. Hey, Ashley, welcome to the show. I have to get, I was just going to say, I have to get used to looking at somebody else and not myself. I'm like, is my hair okay? It's okay. (laughs) It's like the temptation with Zoom, but thank you, Christy. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you because we're going to talk about moving your business online, going from local to online business, or at least part of it. I know that that's something that you do with your clients. And we all know, we were just saying before we hit record that, 2020 kind of threw everybody for a loop with that. And a lot of people found themselves scrambling and trying to figure it out. So I definitely want to hear more about that and how you help people do that. So I'm just going to pass the mic over to you. And first of all, I want to hear about you personally, like a little bit about you, who you are, and then of course your business. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. No, I'm so excited. So as we're recording this, I am a wife and officially a mom to be. So really excited about that. And thank you. I've got my Coke next to me trying to stay caffeinated as much as I can, because apparently that's taboo (laughs) when you're pregnant too, not to have too much caffeine. (laughs) So so just doing all the things and I'm a dog mom and I'm based out of Indianapolis. So it is, there's snow melting on the ground right now. Our weather is super wonky as we're recording this. So anyway, all the fun things things. But to give you some context on, yeah, because you were wondering, okay, have you always been with local or how did this local to online kind of thing shift? And to give you a quick high level of my background and where I came to be, I actually have a Bible degree. So all of my background was in vocational ministry. I did that for a long time. And when my husband and I got married, I was living in Florida.
Florida, which everyone's like, why did you come back? And I still ask myself that question. Why did I leave West Palm Beach? But moved back and at that time decided to go ahead and had a dear friend that was hiring for a property management marketing and sales position with a different company. And so at the time for my schedule, if anybody's familiar with vocational ministry hours, if you're listening, I mean, you're obviously working on weekends because you're doing services and it is just around the clock. So I worked for Mega Mega Churches, loved it. It was a great season, but knew it was time to change. And so long story short, when I moved into the property management and marketing position, I worked with a ton of local business owners, a ton since I was leasing to them. And I really got to know and really across all different industries. I had about a hundred tenants and I'd be selling to them and then continuing to, of course, upsell and get them into different suites, things like that based on their needs. And so that was where my love for local business began. And along the way, I knew that to hit my commission and to get more sales and to continue to bring in more money for my family, I needed to figure out how to continue to get better at selling and get more leads. And so that was where the bridge kind of was as I transitioned into marketing was through Facebook advertising and social media. And so the evolution of what happened and why I just was so infatuated with local businesses is I basically would test things on my tenants. So they would ask me for marketing advice. And as I was going and just binging all these YouTube videos, taking courses, doing all the things that we do, I would just go and test things on different tenants in the building and give them marketing advice. And then finally, somebody was like, Ashley, why aren't you charging for this? And I started thinking, yeah, I'm giving a lot of really good free advice, but I just assumed everybody knew the same stuff I was learning. And then think was <laughs> so that was how it media, my agency was born was from a lot of those conversations and free unsolicited <laughs> advice. And to tie that into 2020, originally up until that point, I'd always thought about maybe dabbling in the online space, but you know how it is. It just always feels like when you're moving Moving in that space for the first time, it feels so crowded. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. And it's like local business to online business marketing is like night and day. And so I think there was a lot of that imposter syndrome and fear that I was like, oh gosh, do I even want to touch this? And then of course, 2020 happened. I had, I remember in January, I was transitioning out of my job. I decided to take the leap full-time and had been building up my side hustle, which was the agency while working full-time. January 17th was my last day. And about what, six weeks later, the whole world shut down. (laughs) So, So that was when I set out to mostly serve local businesses. And a lot of those local businesses were event catering and wedding venues. And so I was like, I guess now or never, I need to figure out a way, one, to help local business owners where they're at in the midst of a global pandemic. And then two, I need cash now. Like we, there was a moment where I was thinking about taking a job with Salesforce, a huge software like CRM company, because I was like, did I do the right thing? Like, here I am. What do I do? Everything was smooth sailing until the shutdown thing happened. And so that was, and I'm so glad I didn't take that job because looking at the company today, that was when we did just that. And I started to go, okay, what are some needs that I see within local business that because a lot of times with a traditional agencies that to harp on agencies, they just want to do all these fancy bells and whistles and do all this stuff to help these businesses. And it's great. But a lot of it, I just didn't think was necessary. And with all of their revenue kind of being out the window, especially if they relied on face-to-face contact to conduct business, I just started thinking there's got to be a way that we can get them results in a way that moves the needle now 
because they have limited budget. Like everyone has limited resources. And so what is that? And so that to give you context was how I started finding and trying to carve out this niche of, okay, how do we get people from local to online? And then once they're online, how do we scale based on what their business model is? Because it's not a one size fits all model. Yeah. that That's amazing. It's like this perfect storm of like challenge and opportunity coming together. It sounds yeah. like it really worked out. It's amazing that you pulled it all together just like that. It was a really scary two weeks. There was a two week period where I was calling my coach and I was like, Brian, what do I do? I want to close down. (laughs) And I quickly got it together. And man, I'm glad I, yeah, I'm glad that I came to my senses and had somebody to help me wake up and just go back at it. That's for sure. But perfect storm is a great way to describe it. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So that kind of brings me to my first question about moving local businesses online. So do you think that any local business can pivot and move to an online model or are there some that just really won't work for? I love this. And my answer is always 110%. Yes. 110%. Now, I don't want to be naive and just assume that there are going to be different industries that aren't going to be affected differently. Because again, it's not going to be the same for each and every person. But I look at therapists, for instance, up until this point, they had primarily almost any therapist I know was doing face-to-face sessions with clients. And then we look at telehealth and the evolution of that. But of course, another industry (laughs) that was hit really, really hard to give a counterintuitive or a different example would be movie theaters. That is an industry and that is a local business per se that relies heavily on people coming and showing up to to an event for a family gathering. But I think it just comes down to like your creativity and kind of figuring out, okay, how can we move this to online? And so that's where pivot comes in, but a great example. And it just goes to show you that some local businesses will have to think a little bit more outside of the box and be creative as they craft that offer. But I've seen contact lists, almost like basically like boxes and family movie nights at home, but also like streaming stuff online and trying to almost create family in-home movie night experiences and things like that. And so again, it's going to look different or movie theaters that have done almost been adding different offerings um, and different experiences that can also be online. I think about the zoo, Mm -hmm. like the zoos that we're doing, I think it was the Cincinnati zoo that started doing online streaming services for like different exhibits. And we've seen online events too. And so I believe the answer is yes. It's just going to look different from business to business. And the key to being able to move online as a local business owner is having an open mind and being okay to accept and come to terms with that at this point, the, the future landscape of business has forever changed. I think it's always been coming. It's been a slow lull as we really head into the information age, but this kind of was that final plug to where we've kind of the whole industrial, you show up to work, you do that, you do this as we usher into the information age. And so I think for local business owners, it's just being okay with knowing that things look different and it's okay, but knowing and hoping that on the other side, they actually could be better because I see this too. And like with therapists, they're like, wow, my day is so much more efficient now. And I don't feel like I'm carrying the emotional baggage that maybe I would have if I had to go in the office or commute, things like that. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because being able to, or being willing, I think to come at things from a different angle, because especially if you are somebody who has been in business for years and years and years and doing things a certain way, it's got to be really difficult to have somebody come in and say, 
look, if you want to make this work, you're going to have to shift this and this, you know? So tell me about some of the shifts that sort of have to take place. You, you mentioned mindset shifts, but even like practical day-to-day things that have to change when you're shifting from an in-person model to an online model. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I'll use one of my clients that is a greenhouse because I think they're a really great example of somebody that you've got live, like live plants that are ready to go, things like that. And people like to go shop and people are really meticulous about what their plants look like. Are they watered enough? I'm not, but my husband is, and he's the person plants. if we're getting, <laughs> you, I do too. I do too. <laughs> my husband will be the one that's like inspecting the leaves and stuff. I'm like, I don't know. I just grab it. And he'll be like, this was a horrible one. We can't, we can't grab these. But anyway, they're a good example because the first part, again, like you just mentioned, the mindset and the belief have to shift. They have to believe that it's possible and they have to just be open to new ways of thinking. But once they do, like a great example, in a day-to-day shift. And this company that I saw was just really trying to encourage them to allow pickup or in-home delivery. And even though it sounds like, again, they really heavily relied on foot traffic, kind of people coming in word of mouth, this company had been in business for, or has been in business and continues to grow over 30 years. It's just always how they've done things. But when we started working together, I was really glad that they actually it was crazy and I don't want to toot my own horn and take all the credit for it. But when we started running ads for them, like it was their best year. They sold when they started making a lot of these small changes and just like allowing for pickup. Mm. And one of the encouragements that I offered was allowing people to pre-purchase their inventory ahead of time. Because for the business owner too, if they do that and they can plan in advance, they can order more, they can even generate more sales over the course of the season. Since they've got a limited window of when you can sell certain types of summer plants and flowers. They can order more. And from a staffing perspective, they can save on not having to have as many people that are showing up to work every day and running payroll as well. If they're doing a lot of those pre-orders, things like that, they can know which, I don't know. Anyway, things that they would have been tracking manually, they can just make it more efficient. And this year, which was just crazy because this year with the shutdown and with, there was a really big freeze, at least in Indiana, where a lot of the inventory was lower than it would have been. They completely sold out of all their product seven weeks prior to when they normally do and had their best year in the midst. And this is a local brick and mortar business that had a website and a Facebook page. And this was our first year advertising and doing all these other things. And that's just the power of being able to make small operational changes like that. And I love, I don't want to dismiss and I want to hold space for a lot of the hardships that have come of this year. But sometimes I think that those hardships are necessary because they get us out of that routine and those traditional ways of thinking and allow us to really tap in that creativity and look at doing we did something that they've never done before and we didn't know if it would work or not. And look what happened. It's just amazing. Yeah, that, that is unbelievable. It's interesting because w- there's a, a local farm that we get some of our meats from. They have like local grass fed meat and they do organic produce and stuff. And they've always had a CSA, but I was really thinking about how are these family farms going to make it? And this particular farm, like they really turned it around. They created events where they would have like a big drop-off center where it was obviously socially distanced. They started doing in-home deliveries and we live in a pretty rural area. So that was not a small undertaking because they would have to go to, you know, multiple towns, but 
somehow they've made it work. And it's just amazing to see people thinking and looking at things a little differently and really upping the customer service game. Because who, if you can have yeah. food delivered to your door and you don't have to do anything, like sign me up. <laughs> I know, right? I know me. And that's like my relationship with DashPass right now. <laughs> I'm like, I wish there were more local places and local family farms like that that were on DashPass because yes, I'm with you. I'm like, if I don't have to leave. Yeah, house, exactly. Like- <laughs> so th- that just made me think of something though. And it's not one of the questions that I talked about. So hopefully it doesn't okay. throw you off. I love it. When you are looking at working with a, a client and they are experiencing this sort of economic downturn or whatever, like they're not making the money, things are not where they should be. How do you show the value of what you bring to the table? Because basically you're asking them to invest when they're at a time where they don't have anything extra to invest. It's so hard. It's so hard. So one thing that we did start doing just specifically for local businesses, and we didn't do it for everyone, just people that we knew were willing to make the commitment. And we really framed everything before we will work with a client anyway, with just making sure that the commitment's there. One thing that we had done just for that season, especially the six week stretch where it was like people were freaking out. So what from mid March to like May and everyone's like, goodness, like what are we going to do? We did offer test drives. And so we would do for those test drives, especially for advertising, because here in the Midwest too, a lot of people, it's like trying to educate people on exactly what it is that is happening with online marketing. It's, it's kind of a gap when they're not used to that. And so we would do, I will never work for free. I don't know. I recommend that anyone do, but we did want to recognize that things are hard and things are marketing budgets are cut to almost nothing. And we, but we wanted our clients to have skin in the game and to have an investment. So we created a lower scope offering that we call the test drive just to get people, not that we needed to get people in the door, but to really show them exactly what it was. Because I think once people can see what's possible, then that'll allow them to shift their belief and then they'll be able and more willing to make that investment. And so of course that's going to look differently based on whatever, whoever's listening, like what industry or what they're in for us. It was setting up, getting into their ads account. It ended up being a great sales tool for us, truthfully, because the hardest barrier for us is just getting all their assets to get in their ads account. And so for the test drive, for the lower price point and the scope, that was very appealing Mm -hmm. for people to be able to get in. And then for us, it's like, great, we're in your ads account. We can see all your data. All we have to do is deliver. And I know, and I'm confident we can do that. So we'll just go from there. But that was what we did and allowed like some of those test drives. We would run smaller, very kind of minuscule campaigns just so they could see and that would start to click with them what they were doing so that that trust would be there. Does that fully answer your question or is there something else I can no, kind of yeah, elaborate that's, on? That's great. And I think it's really important too, especially because the way that I think a lot of brick and mortar businesses typically think of marketing is like, advertising like radio spots and TV spots. And so it's a whole different ball game when you're talking online marketing and Facebook ads and all of that. So that's a really amazing idea. And I love that you didn't do it for free, that you, you know, made them have a minimal investment, but something that was enough to, like you said, give them some skin in the game and you got to prove what you bring to the table. So I think that's fantastic. Absolutely. 
We set up conditions with that too. So if you're listening, that was one thing, especially with those test drives, they always need to have a definitive beginning and end date because there's a cutoff. There's a time where, you know, the gravy train, because it is, it's not necessarily a discount, but it is a great deal. And again, it takes a lot of time, even though it was within our scope, but there's always kind of those parameters, but it, it got to a point where we had to stop offering it because we really, we just couldn't keep up with the capacity of what people were looking for. And I totally pregnancy brain just lost my train of thought on that. I'm sure there was a great point and I'll bring it up later if you ask a question. That's funny. You know, that's so smart though. And it actually kind of reminds me of something that a fellow copywriter of mine did. Like when she was just starting out, she really wanted like a unique way to get leads, to get signups, basically email subscribers. And she did what she called a non-scalable lead magnet. And she basically offered website copy audits for free. And it actually ended up leading to, I think, close to $80,000 in business because people were just so amazed that she could go, you know, spend an hour and go through this and have something so valuable to offer that really changed the game for them. So I think that's a really smart idea. But that brings me to my next question. We're talking about marketing. What are some of the typical marketing strategies that local businesses use, but won't necessarily work in an online, in the online space? That's great. That's great. Because I think this question can be, and it can be inverted too, but I would say depending on the local business, the number one thing that local business owners come to me for is social media. (laughs) That's always what I hear. Get me on social media. And I always laugh because it's not always the answer for them, depending like for a therapist or somebody that's a consultant or a service-based business that's like deals with people one-to-one and more of a personal brand capacity. We all know that while they can post and they, they come to me and always I'm trying to gently like encourage them and cut them down because they post every day and no clients are coming in. And it's because there's just no traffic on their pages. And so there's an example of something that won't work for every local business. But I would say for for brick and mortar local business that have a storefront and they've got a really raving product and just like a strong grassroots loyal fan base, organic social media is still, it is not dead. And in the online space, you know, we see it, there's a lot more competition and it's a lot harder to scale without paid advertising in it or with organic, just because I think people are a lot more prone. They see people sliding in the DMs or they see Mm -hmm. content and they're just so used to seeing the same templates and things. Whereas for a local business, I'm trying to think we're doing a campaign for a city right now for acts of kindness and giving and we're running ads for it. But honestly, it's something that if done the right way, I think we're getting, ads are going to be like the, the cherry on top that I think are just going to put it to the next level to continue to get more eyeballs. But that's a great example of just people love and eat up stuff that local businesses that are home-based and grassroots to be able to share posts and do all that stuff. So those giveaways and those, I've seen a lot of success with local business owners now, even if they are service-based and they have a smaller following, I have a call and a friend that's an esthetician and so her, like a boutique owner and a photographer all teamed up and they did a giveaway and they had like 2000 followers in a day. And before that they were at like a few hundred maybe. Oh, wow. And so there's a great example yeah. of, I know, but for the online space, a little bit harder, right? It's not tangible. It's not, you're selling a digital product or service that people don't necessarily fully comprehend. And so organic social media until you build up that following or traffic in some way, it's a little bit harder. So that's one that comes to mind. Email marketing for local looks way different. I think that's one that 
people try to apply the same strategies from local to online or vice versa. And they're definitely very different, but just sending out like we did, I'm trying to think for the greenhouse client that comes to mind again, all we did for them was a few email campaigns for their season that were just all giveaways. We literally grew their audience. Gosh, I want to say, I don't even know what the numbers were now. They had no email list and we were at a few thousand within a week or two, just because of giveaways. I know because of giveaways. Giveaways. That was it. So we just coupled giveaways with advertising and sending out in the campaigns and you had to open your email to figure out who the winner was. That was how we got their open rates up real high, real quickly, instead of just announcing it on social media. And so there you go. I mean, it's crazy, but those are just three things that again, online, right? Unless you're paying for traffic, it's a lot harder to just get a few thousand subscribers. It sounds really taboo, but the power of having a community behind the brand is something that local can really yeah. I, and I think that it's great that you have these different options that you're driving them to. And I really believe that so many local businesses are not focusing on email marketing and they're really missing the boat on that because it, you're right. It, it does look totally different than in the online space, but I still think it's king and you should, everybody should be using it as far as I'm concerned. With you, even for my online clients, I mean, that's really our agency now. We do three things. We do organic social media for local businesses. We do paid advertising for local businesses. And then the other bread and butter, but the majority of our business since COVID has been helping coaches and course creators launch online. But even for their courses and for launching their new programs, I don't do really any evergreen or SLOs, but even for those launches, when we're doing cold traffic, whether it's the webinars or live launches, I still always encourage them. I'm like, honestly, I still think we'd be way more effective if we were doing a list building campaign to your group or something first, or even I love, like I know for my own programs, I still am the biggest proponent of just always driving traffic to my list and selling to my list over just selling the cold traffic online. And I just think email marketing is still... Anybody who says email marketing is dead, I just want to shake them. I'm like, you're missing out. Like, and too, like, you're if you're paying for advert, which again, I'm an ad strategist. I get it. I pay and spend money, but like, we save so much money. It's just by the cost of leads that when we just drive like for our lead magnet to our like general evergreen funnel, then we do in launches because the cost triples or quadruples. Yeah. So it's just such a anyone who's not doing that, it just it's such a missed opportunity. Yeah, the ROI on email sure. marketing just can't be beat. And it's funny that you say the people who say email marketing is dead. Back in 2010, we had a and actually a product-based business, my husband and I, we created a line of all natural locale margarita mixes. And Oh, I love this. I want, they still exist. No. <laughs> Sadly, we didn't make enough money at it, but the, there are so many lessons that I learned back then from back then. Like we, we did meet with a marketing team, a social media marketing team. And of course, this was back in the day when it wasn't pay to play. You know, I mean, there were, right. there were ads, but you didn't need them really to get your stuff seen. Right. So. But I remember the social media marketing guy saying email marketing is dead. And I was like insistent that we have some kind of freebie on our website and collect email addresses. And he he was like, no, it's a waste of your time. And I just like, I was adamant that this was something that needed to happen. But I was also told by many people that A, people don't buy food online and B, subscription things will never work. So (laughs) 
<laughs> I wish I would have listened to my my gut on that. But oh uh, my gosh, I what can't are you going to do? That it's so <laughs> ironic. Anybody who said that, I've there, <laughs> I'm sure they've probably reconsidered. Easy. All right. So my last kind of businessy question is: so one of the things that you focus on with your clients, and you touched on this a little bit, was creating an offer that produces an immediate injection of cash into their business. So can you take us through that a little bit, like what the process looks like? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Here's what I see. And I'm sure you see it too. And it drives me insane. I love people so much. I love these (laughs) entrepreneurs so much because they're visionaries, they're big thinkers, and they want to do things well. But what I see so often, especially with ads clients, is somebody comes to me with a finished product. And it's all, I mean, on the surface, it sounds amazing. They've done, they've followed all the things. They've created their funnel. They've got their email sequences, all their webinar registration pages, their sales pages. And they're like, I'm ready. All we need to do is run ads to this and it's going to take off. And the first question I ask before we'll ever consider taking on a new client is great. Tell me how often have you launched this offer before? Is it validated? And they're like, well, no, but we did everything. And I have to have like a come, like bring them back down to earth conversation. Or they say, oh yeah, we made a few sales. My mom and my sister, or like this one friend of mine, I messaged her and she bought it. And I'm thinking, okay, okay. Because so often I see, and I see it with both local and online and they've crafted and they've taken the time and the intentionality to, (laughs) to basically like create this magnificent sounding offer, but because it's not validated, they've wasted all of this time and all this money creating something that people may or may not ever buy, or by the time they've gotten it to the market, the need has changed um, as we've seen so often throughout Mm -hmm. the year. And it's like really the antithesis of what I want people to do when they are creating an offer for cash injection. And so what I mean by that, because sometimes cash injection, it sounds like a sketchy, (laughs) I think it's juicy. Some people are like, I don't know (laughs) exactly. But when it comes to your offers, when it comes to, um, and I'll speak to the local business owners here, they're dabbling in the space. I think this is scarier from, for, local business than it is for an online business owner, but the offer doesn't have to be done for you to start getting paid. <laughs> I think they have to, they assume that all the notebooks, all the fancy, all the bells and whistles, all the videos, all the content, all that stuff needs to be completely finished before they make any type of an offer. And it's just not true. You know that I know that. I mean, I've built so many things and I love it because it saves me so much time as I create like a beta for my course right now. I haven't created any of the content. We're just testing to make sure it's exactly what our market yeah. launches. And then Based on that, we'll pre-sell. And then based on that, we'll create the actual offer around those people. And so when I say an instant cash injection offer, it's exactly what I'm talking about. It's just, I think people just assume because we have access to all of the means like we do, like advertising, email marketing, and all these amazing methods that we don't have to do the work that we don't have to do the deep work of figuring out what people want, that we can bypass the steps of market analysis and asking people or not sending messages or not having the conversations. I think we just assume like people come to us sometimes they think like we're a vending machine or something. And like you put your quarters in and then <laughs> right. boom, it's magic or maybe more like, a, yeah, it's more like a slot machine where you could put a dollar in, but you might 
I don't know, walk out of the casino, like owing money because you're at that point, they're wanting to gamble because they haven't proven anything when reality proven systems and just validating the thing would be what got them there. And so when I say kind of creating that offer, it's so simple. It's so simple. It doesn't have to be this whole complex thing. It's just knowing, okay, what is it that I want to do? So what is it that lights me up? What is it that I'm passionate about? What is it that is like really my zone of genius? Not what I'm good at, not what necessarily I'm doing right now, but like, what do I love? And then are there people that I'm serving right now that want that? And then it's just as simple as asking them, like asking your existing client. Let's just use a therapist. I love examples to bring it home. Let's use a therapist, for example. I've been working with a lot of therapists lately, so it just keeps coming up. But say a therapist that wants to transition into the coaching space, which I've seen happen a lot this year, actually. And they're working with, not necessarily with clients, but they're in Facebook groups or they're, maybe they've created a new separate page for kind of their coaching and just asking people and sending direct messages to saying, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Would you be interested? And so maybe that's a hard example because there's all sorts of regulations and things there with that niche, but that's really how simple it is to figure out if people want it or not. And then finally, creating offers about what people are asking. Mm. I think we overcomplicate it. For example, like for me, we still do intensives, VIP days, whatever you want to call them for clients. But some people, and we had all like, when you do like an intensive or VIP day with me, I'm like, okay, because they're paying this much money. Like it's got to be, it's got to have this. It's got to have that. We're going to do this whole like exercise here about this. But when I started asking people at the end what they got out of it or what they wanted, what I was giving them and what they wanted weren't even alignment. And I hated doing those things. I was just adding them in there to add more layers. It was more of a worth yeah. issue too. Cause I you was feel just like, like, you have to give people more, must more, more, more. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't want any of it. No, they just wanted me. They just wanted an hour of time with me on the phone. And I'm like, oh, there's my offer. That's easy. I can show up on Zoom for an hour and give strategic and like consulting advice. Why haven't I been doing that? And it's that simple. And that's the stuff that I love. I love just talking. I hate having to implement and go back and do some of that stuff. That's why I hired a team. (laughs) And that's why they do. (laughs) They do a lot of that stuff because they're good at that. But that's how simple it is. And just even doing something like that, like if you're in the consulting space, we overcome complicated. Like we've got to have this course or this whole fancy flagship, which are all great. I mean, I'm a proponent. I have offers like that, but I started making an offer to basically, here's my calendar link. There's a credit card right there. If you just want to book time with me, here you go. And it's that simple. And it really can be that simple. We just make it harder. I think it's easy to do that when you see all of these gurus with like fancy funnels and I create funnels for people. So I'm not, I'm not against the funnel, but I think what works for somebody who has been doing what they're doing for 10 years and they have this enormous list to leverage is very different from somebody who is new to the game or has only been in the space for a couple of years. Like you just have to, they're two different animals and we can definitely overcomplicate things and we want to be perfect, right? We want to look like the big guys, but if you're not there yet, why waste your time and energy? That's the way that I see it. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. But I love that you, that you bring up the market research because I definitely think that's one of the two biggest mistakes that I see with people, with my clients anyway, is that the first is that they don't really have their ideal clients really dialed in. And it seems like such a basic thing. And sometimes I feel like when I talk about it, it's like I'm telling people what they already know, but they really don't. (laughs) Like you think you do, but you don't. 
they get so frustrated though, because they don't want to skip that step. And the other thing that I think that they forget is anytime they pivot or they do a new offer, you got to go back to that step. You don't just because you have one offer that's performing very well. So I'll use myself as an example. We have our Facebook advertising clients dialed in like pat down. It is very simple for me to go and sell advertising for launches or for local businesses. It's simple, but I'm creating a new beta and a new course. And it's a flagship offer for me to help other agency owners that are in the service-based area go from basically being a solopreneur to actually being the CEO and having an agency. And that is, I have not worked specifically with service providers before in like a consulting level, not to say that I haven't given feedback, but like those people are not on my list. Those people are not in my groups. Those people don't know who I am. And so most people just assume because I were in that category, I'd just be assuming, well, why isn't this working? I should just be able to run ads at this. I've built this well, and I've built that well, but no, you know what I'm doing? I am back to the drawing board. I have a pop-up group. There are like a small number of people in it because I'm keeping it small to get research. And I am direct messaging them and tagging them and sliding in there to figure out exactly what they want. And like you just said, we skipped that ICA step, but case in point, what I was going to create, so glad that I didn't sell or like continue to start filming a bunch of models that they wouldn't have wanted because we have to go back to that ICA step. And now I'm realizing again, as I do this literally right now in real time with myself, that it sounds so basic, but it's not. But like you just said, it's like people have heard it so many times they don't want to hear it, but it's the foundational piece. And it's something that it's like everything else. It evolves, it changes. And so you kind of always need to sort of constantly revisit it. And certainly Mm -hmm. like like you said, when you're thinking about creating a new offer, it's a to- it could be a totally different person that you're targeting. So yeah. yeah, very smart. Are you ready for the Christy questions? I love it. I'm so excited for okay. the Christy you, questions. I have to tell oh you, you are one of only maybe two or three people, two or three guests who didn't need to know the questions ahead of time. Yeah, most serious? people want to know ahead of time, <laughs> which I can totally relate because if I was in that chair, I would want to know because I would want to be prepared. <laughs> I've flown by the seat of my pants my whole life. So I like to be surprised. I feel like I give the more raw, candid answer than, I don't know. It keeps things Yeah, fun no, that's me. awesome. I commend <laughs> your bravery. <laughs> so that's great. Nothing All too right, high pressure. Go. So the first question okay. is, what is your biggest struggle when it comes to balancing your business and your personal life? Oh, so good. It's an easy one to answer, but a harder one to unpack. And it's boundaries. Oh my God. That boundaries. was my second question boundaries. is about boundaries. <laughs> I love it. Someone killed two That's birds hilarious. with one stone because they're so, they're so connected though. So for context, I just, re- my husband, I just brought him home to work with me full time and then he'll be retired quote unquote once baby comes and we'll do all, I'm going to take maternity leave. He'll be working while I'm on maternity leave and we'll flip flop and he'll do stay at home dad life. But with that being said, like just for some context, I work in the same op. So my physical office location is in the same building that my mom manages. And then I work with my husband. And so it's like, hello, all intertwined, but I'll leave that for the second part of your question. I'll let you officially ask it. But I would say when it comes to the work-life balance part, gosh, not only with just all those relationships in there, it's also just the tension of just having work boundaries too, of there's the temptation. Gosh, like even right now, it's the hardest thing for me. We are closing our office uh, for two weeks. I saw that. And I was like, oh my God, I love that. Cannot wait cannot wait, but it is tempting until we set like concrete things like that. I mean, I 
for a very long time. And I still am guilty of slipping back into this. We all know how easy, especially because we're we're on a social media agency. We get a lot of people that come through the DMs. And then my personal profile is also my business profile. I tried to separate them for a while. And I just started to try to embrace the whole integration piece because it was just, I felt like I was putting on one hat and the other hat. And I was like, this isn't a, yeah, this isn't a separation issue. This is an Ashley (laughs) issue that I'm just having difficulty turning it off. And whether I create a different profile for this or not, like it's just still going to be a problem for me. So I chose to keep them all together for simplicity, but you know, there's just always that temptation. I would say to be getting things done late at night, or I see with advertising, a campaign gets turned out or turned off and it goes to my personal Facebook profile. And I'm like, crap, I could just fix it right now. And then fixing it right now turns into an hour of troubleshooting a campaign at seven when I should be with my family. And so that I've really tried to, yeah, we've just had to set yeah, we've had to be really intentional or not really, not we, my husband's way better. At, I don't know how he does it. He just yeah. turns off and I'm like, but I've, I've had to be really intentional of just doing things like, I know some people love this, but I don't keep email on my phone. I don't do it too much of a temptation for me. One, because I'll just never stop looking at it Two because I'll probably not reply well anyway. And that email on my phone, cause that's not the best form of communication Mm -hmm. for me. And I'll send something very half-winded. And I also don't have any notifications for any social media on my phone whatsoever for any app. So I only check them from my desktop or not from my desktop, from my laptop, because I have to log in. And then if I'm checking something on Instagram and it's easier for me to look at my phone, I'll do it when my computer's present. So those are some ways that I've had to combat that, but I think you get it too, being in the online space. It just never stops. It can be all consuming for sure. And I, I actually just recently took the all the social media apps off of my phone and yeah. it has given me great anxiety i'm not going to lie <laughs> i yeah. only will log in from my computer and it's tricky because it's there's this temptation to feel like you sort of always have to be on like you said and i feel really guilty if i don't check in often enough but i also understand logically that nobody's going to die if I don't answer a direct message within two minutes. So it's perspective, right? Like I'm really not that important. I just need to get what I need. Right. We think that we are, and we think that it revolves around us and it's just like, no, it doesn't. So we feel, but yes, the second question. Yeah. So no, this is about boundaries, but so I wanted to know what are your non-negotiables when it comes to boundaries? Cause I think we all have issues around boundaries, but are there just a couple of things that you just, they're non-negotiable for you, either with your employees or your clients or just work in general? Oh, this is so good. This is so good. And I love that you say non-negotiable. I'm trying to do better at that because that's been, that has been one of the biggest tension points I talk on why this one is so particularly important to me is because when I wasn't enforcing these non-negotiables, I felt like a lack of integrity within myself because I said that I would hold up these non-negotiable boundaries and then I would break them. And so I love that you say that because they have to be non-negotiable. I would say for one that I'm still, now this is one that I'm working through because my husband, as we're recording this, what he just came to to work with me full-time about three or four weeks oh, wow. ago. So no. it's still in transition. And my husband has no background in the online space or any of that before this. Like he's worked in all, like he was an electrician. So very, very different, never behind a computer. So anyway, I just remember we had just gotten out of bed and I was like about to start and I have my whole morning routine. Like I need it. I love my morning routine. The first thing my husband tells me is, oh, hey, uh, I just got an email. Your ad account's disabled. 
And I'm like, <laughs> nope, we don't talk about that right now. And so that's one for me is like when we clock out, I don't, or in the morning or when we're doing something else, stuff like that, when I'm not, I shouldn't say that never say never, because there's exceptions to where there's an emergency or something that happens. But I always say until my non-negotiable boundary with that is until we are both in a position where we can do something about a problem. So in front of a computer or have the capacity to deal with it, my husband and I, we do not bring it up because that's just a source of anxiety mm-hmm. for me. I had a few other things to do that morning. And so there was like this two hour gap of me freaking out that our evergreen funnel was down. Cause that's how our agency gets a lot of our leads is we have our own evergreen like service-based funnel. And I was like, I just, I don't have space. I don't have capacity. And so we just won't have those conversations until, until we do that. The other one for me is when I say that I will take dedicated time off. That's it. There are no exceptions. And I've had to make that non-negotiable because when I've not given those concrete um, definitive deadlines, it's a lot easier for me to break them. And so when I decided last year, because I was still at my day job, I just made a commitment to myself a year ago that I would not work another holiday window. I would take that time. I love that time to refresh and spend time with my family because it's so important. And last year I worked like day before, day after Christmas, and it was just a really stressful time, a lot of stuff going on. And so this year we are closing down for two full weeks and I'm really excited. Like today as we're recording, this is my last day. I'm finishing up a few more things. I'll work a little bit late tonight to try to get that done. And I've given myself to, I should say, the office officially closes. Like I'm not going back in. And then I'm giving myself tomorrow as a buffer just to play back end catch up. But after that, that's it. Like that's we're done, but I've had to set those concrete definitive deadlines because even just today I've had five people try to call me or to get a hold of me online to ask for services or if they, if we can squeeze in a rush project and the answer is no. And even for clients have been, I sent out a notice two weeks ago that we were going to close and that we had until December 18th to submit any changes in creative, anything that they needed. We would be working very diligently to make sure that we could accommodate them. But the cutoff was 7 p.m. December 18th. And if it's after that, because with that boundary, that there were some people that were sad that were like, what the heck? I want to work with you now. And I'm like, I'm, I do not have bandwidth because I know that I won't be able to serve right. them well. The other factor too, that a coach told me and that I have just really internalized. My coach, Brian is like my Yoda, but he just said one time when I used to stress and have anxiety because a few months ago, even I probably would have been like, Oh crap, I need to do this. I just got it to me. Well, crap, crap, crap. I said that I would get their campaign up. But when I create these definitive boundaries, I'll never forget. He said, you should never have to suffer for somebody else's lack of performance. You set the parameters and you enforcing the scope of your contract. That's just, that is completely their responsibility. They can get mad. They can campaign, but your job isn't to be their friend. It's not to be liked. It's to help that help guide them and give them those parameters so that you can perform the best for them. And me performing the best for them means that I have to take, and my team has to take a two week break because we've been freaking with this election and with all the other stuff and with the Black Friday stuff and people going online, trying to get ad accounts out left and right and been pulling, like there have been a few 12 hour, 13 hour days. And so they need rest. And I know for the sake of my clients, we can't serve them if my team 
doesn't get that break and can't disconnect from, we love you, Zuckerberg. Even Well, not everybody <laughs> does, but like we love the platform, you know, but we've got to take a break. And so those are two of the non-negotiables we've set up. Sorry, no, I'm rambling. Cutting I myself off. Fantastic. I definitely struggle with boundaries and I find that what I need from time to time changes. And it's all about trying to listen and be flexible and just go with what feels right. But so much of what I am trying to do, like with my work and my business is helping women grow and scale their businesses fast. But I I really like the more that I'm that I'm doing that, the the most important piece I think is to do it in a sustainable way because so many of yes. us are struggling with burnout, health issues, like all of these different things, because we're trying to be on and everything to everybody at all times. And that's what made me ask those particular questions, because I, I love to learn more and more what other women are doing to just find balance and take care of themselves. So important. And I always say, even I would say probably today, over the last three days, I didn't have to turn about $15,000 in projects down. And even though some people and money's relative, of course, because we're all at different phases and we're all at just some people, that's not that much, just some people that's a lot. And they're thinking, oh my gosh, but the moral of the story is based on your goals and those non-parameters. Sure. maybe it seems like a lot today, but what is that going to cost you to be able to get toward what your goal is tomorrow? And what is that end goal? What have you, what have you kind of set for yourself? What are you hoping for? And sometimes like for me, that was like, that's just going to get in the way of it. I need rest. And I've got my mind on other things and those things can wait. And I think it's just giving ourselves permission that you can, and you should, I mean, at times, even if you're not where you want to be with your revenue goals, like it's okay to turn down projects and turn on sales because it's an abundance mindset that more is coming. And what's ahead is better than sacrificing the personal integrity that it takes to turn some of that down yeah, right now. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a really helpful conversation. And I think our listeners are really just going to get a lot out of listening in. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And congratulations you. on the baby. That's exciting. Thank you. And thank you so much for letting me come yeah. on the show. Thank you for tuning in to Captivate and Convert. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to support the podcast by leaving a five-star review and subscribing and sharing it with your biz besties. Your ratings and reviews help us reach more listeners who want to grow and scale their businesses fast. And don't forget to post a screenshot of this podcast in your IG stories and tag me at Christy Sigelski so I can repost you. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.